Hey there, welcome back listeners to another episode of the Free Willed and Fired Up podcast. Today we'll be wrapping up part five of five of our little mini-series here on Satanism and culture. And now just to briefly recap where we last left off, we were talking about the Satanic Statement number seven, which dealt with how Satan sees man as just another animal, sometimes better but more often worse than those that walk on all fours. He is an animal who, uh, because of his quote-unquote divine spiritual and intellectual development, has become the most vicious animal of all, elevating the human species to a position somehow innately superior to other animals, is blatant self-deceit. Humanity is driven by the same natural urges that other animals experience. And while our intellect has allowed us to accomplish truly great things, which should be appreciated, it can also be credited with incredible and wanton acts of cruelty throughout history. All right, now just to briefly sum up uh, some of the points I was making towards the end of the last podcast where we kind of wrapped up on this topic here of the satanic statement number seven. It's the idea that this is a very naturalistic, a very worldly kind of uh, conception and view of what humanity is. And it's, it's no surprise whenever you look out at culture and you look at those who are supposedly trying to be objective uh, in how they characterize reality, human beings, our nature, and so on, that they end up relying on what they perceive to be science. But what they fail to recognize is that science, in and of itself, is first and foremost a process. It is not a self-contained ideology. It is a process of observation. And yet, <clears throat> a lot of people who try to push this whole false dichotomy of religion versus science, they tend to view science as, a, as an ideological or philosophical or religious camp in and of itself that somehow is in contention with religion, like Christianity. And this simply is not so. To try to make science into something as dogmatic as proponents of it today seem to be is to misconstrue, misinterpret, and misapply what science is and what it has always uh, been and what it was always meant to be, both past, present, and future, and that is a means of observing the natural world. Nothing more, nothing less. Now, if you want to delve into interpretation and try to understand beyond that what the science might show or might tell us about the nature of reality, well, then you have to go beyond science. You have to go beyond the mere process. You have to go beyond mere observation. And you then enter into a world of philosophy and ideology. And unfortunately, it can be this way for both religious groups and uh, naturalists, right? humanists, biological determinists. They tend to lean into this very dogmatic kind of approach. <clears throat> and in this dogmatism, it leads to mischaracterizations, not only of of what science is, but also how it relates to religious thought. And it really is something that only comes about from, from a deep kind of ignorance and misunderstanding of what religion and science are, but on top of ignorance, it comes from people who are very loud, people who are very vocal, and, and unfortunately, it comes from a very complacent scientific community. Part of me understands why they let these activists go around saying that all these things are scientific when really they're not, saying that all these things are supported by a scientific 
data and evidence as unquestionable fact. I understand why they're doing it, because science is having its heyday right now with these political debates. Scientists, their work, are actually being paid attention to by the culture at large. It's bringing in certainly a lot of fame, a lot of money, a lot of praise, a lot of awards. And yet, it is for all the wrong reasons. It is not motivated by a true appreciation of science for science's sake. No, all the attention scientists and their work are getting now are only being looked at because it temporarily serves a political narrative. It serves an end that goes beyond itself. And apparently, people in the scientific community do not value the objective process of scientific inquiry and observation enough to be free from that all-too-human temptation of doing away with what is not, in fact, well-evidenced for the sake of money, fame, power, and the rest. Scientists, whether people are too biased to admit it or not, are indeed just as susceptible to temptation, to corruption, as any other human being. And sure, the profession indeed has a lot of checks and balances. And indeed, when you look at a lot of the things that, you know, these, these cultural leaders of today who try to push a lot of these satanic views and certainly unbiblical and anti-Christian views, not only of the nature of the world, of humanity, of God, and so on. What you end up seeing is that, well, the literature is out there. The, the findings are out there. The reports are out there. The journals, they're all out there that speak against the way that these activists... Uh, these cultural Satanists are trying to use scientific findings. It's already out there that, that speak against it. And yet, while it is very easy to find these lackluster scientific reports that supposedly go along with these very naturalistic views of the world of human nature, and so on. It's quite difficult to find those scientific uh, journals and that research out there, which is definitely, it's not a small number. There's plenty out there that challenge some of these findings, that challenge some of the ways that the scientific data has been interpreted. And yet... You never hear about it. Why? Why is that? It's because right now, those who are in charge of the culture are the ones in charge of media. They're the ones who are in charge of largely what you see, what you hear. And they don't want you seeing this. They don't want you seeing that science is actually not a religious ideology full of dogmatism and so on. It's still largely a place rife with skepticism, as it should be, as science always should be. It should always be questioning every last little detail, never quite being sure of anything, at least not 100%. The second science starts operating as if 
It knows all the truth that there is to the world 100%, that there's no longer any need for scientific inquiry. If science ever gets to that point, then you would be correct in assuming that science is dead. A science that is not skeptical is a dead science. It is a false science. It is a pseudo-science. So all these people who speak to this idea of what human beings are and what they're capable of, such as these Satanists saying that human beings are nothing nothing more than animals. In fact, that we're, we're worse than animals, apparently, according to the science out there. And that, therefore, we should conduct ourselves like beasts with no ability to think morally or critically and rather just to fulfill every hedonistic desire that we have, regardless of how people say God feels about it, that no, just as animals don't understand or consider God's ultimate will and why he created us and what responsibility and accountability we might have, they say, no, 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 no. (laughs) Science has supposedly ruled that out even though it hasn't. There are many aspects of reality, of the objective world out there, of truth, that science is not capable of properly measuring or commenting on by its very limitation of being that of the natural world and the natural world only. And yet, what do people do? These Satanists, these naturalists, these humanists, these materialists, they think that all that there is is what is physical. All that there is is what we can observe under a microscope. Which is, (laughs) wouldn't you believe it, a faulty way of viewing reality, and it leads to all manner of misunderstanding and misinterpretation of who we are as human beings, what our nature is, what morality is. Because what people often end up doing is they reject half of the facts out there. And instead of being able to swing on to another branch keep going in their inquiry, people then misconstrue, twist, manipulate what they do have, the limited information, the limited data, the limited facts that they do have, and they try to stretch it to fit whatever they want it to be. And so that's how you get to things like Satanists thinking that Human beings are nothing more than mere animals, and in fact, most of the time, we're worse than animals. And you see that playing out in our culture today. (laughs) You've even heard that, that famous song. What is it? You and me, baby, we ain't nothing but mammals, so let's just do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. You've heard that. These people my generation have heard that. It's out there. This idea, this satanic idea is out there. It's been mainstream for a long time. And it shows. People who think that, oh, these ideas, these satanic, these dangerous ideas that ignore objective morality and how human beings should conduct themselves, where we apparently look to the beast's to determine what is the right thing that we should do. (laughs) That if we can find an animal out there that does what we would consider to be unconscionable, immoral, and disgusting, that, well, if this bird does it, (laughs) or if this fish does it, then why can't we do it? You see this play out with all manner of talks about what human beings should be allowed to do and what should be accepted, what should be affirmed in terms of the choices human beings make in relationships and so on. 
And it really is just sad that these supposed intellectuals can end up supporting some of the most ignorant and foolish ways of thinking that absolutely are deleterious to the culture, to society, to the family, to our institutions, and if it's allowed to continue on, to the world at large. Humanity cannot flourish, cannot thrive in a culture and in a society where we deny our very humanity and render ourselves as nothing more than beasts, as nothing better than the animals, and in fact worse than the animals. And so here we are. So with this seventh satanic statement, let's go over some relevant biblical passages that speak against uh, what was trying to be pushed here. Genesis 1, 26 through 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Second Peter 1 Peter 1.4 By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. 2 Peter 2.19 While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. Matthew 6.26 Look at the birds of the air... For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So let that just continue on. With satanic statement number eight, Satan champions the so-called sins as they all lead to physical, mental, or emotional gratification. In general, the concept of sin, quote-unquote, is something that breaks a moral or religious law, and Satanism is strictly against such following of dogma. When a Satanist avoids an action, it is because of concrete reasoning, not simply because dogma dictates it or someone has judged it, quote-unquote, bad. In addition, when a Satanist realizes that he or she has committed an actual wrong, the correct response is to accept it, learn from it, avoid doing it again, not to mentally beat yourself up for it or beg for forgiveness. So let's get into this here briefly on some of my thoughts, my analysis of what was just passed off here as a quote-unquote satanic statement. By quote-unquote champion sins, the Satanist means they affirm, agree with, and think good or moral those actions that God deems that we view as wrong, immoral, and bad. To assert whether something is good, bad, moral, immoral, right, wrong, is to engage in moralistic, and by the Satanist standard, dogmatic debate. The Satanist fails to realize this, or more likely, fails to admit to this fact of the matter, because to do so would expose the hypocrisy and inferiority of their beliefs. It's hilarious that Satanists think their view of right and wrong is rational and that Jews and Christians' views of right and wrong is somehow irrational. As if Jews and Christians haven't had logic, evidence, and rationality, utilitarian or otherwise, to back up and defend God's commands for thousands of years. Yes, it's not just that we do these things because God commands that we do them, but rather we have recognized for centuries, if not millennia, that in following what God tells us to do, that God says is for our benefit, that we, in following them, can see for ourselves that it is indeed beneficial. So again, this idea that 
only Satanists act from a utilitarian and practical rationality in terms of why they do the things they do and why they don't do the things that they don't do. It's simply ridiculous. It's simply ridiculous to assume that only Satanists do things because of benefits and to avoid consequences. When that is absolutely a big part of why Christians do what God says. Because of the benefits. Not only spiritual, but also physical. The here and the now, the material benefits, not just the spiritual ones. So, again, to make that kind of argument is simply to be disingenuous at best of some of these religions, such as those followed by Jews and Christians. And uh, what at worst is to straight up just lie, <laughs> just a straight up lie to, to be ignorant. And so as we continue on, it's as if Jews and Christians haven't had logic, evidence, and rationality to back up and defend God's commands for thousands of years. Apologetics, the logical and rational defense of God's word and ways, has been around since the very beginning of the law, of the commandments of God to his creation. To claim that logical and rational defenses for the faith are missing not only from the Bible, but also have not been accurately fleshed out and defended for over a millennia. In other texts and public exhortations is an excellent example of a coward and a liar who can only attack that which they must first straw man because the truth is so self-evident and undeniable. I expect this from children of Satan who too lie and twist God's nature and word to try to seduce the ignorant and immature into turning away from God. And because myself and thousands before me have been wise enough to trust in God's word that said that this would be the case, it only makes sense as to why Jews and Christians have gone to such lengths for thousands of years to aptly defend and clarify what God is and what he is not, and more importantly, how and why he is. To the Satanists who ignorantly profess this bold-faced lie, I say to you what my father said to yours, which is, get behind me, Satan. So the Satanist process of dealing with their wrongs is as follows. Number one, admit their wrongdoing. Number two, understand the nature of their wrongdoing. Three, take conscious action to not commit that same wrong again. Bruh, that's repentance. That's literally the steps of repentance as prescribed by God's word. That's not original to you Satanists. That's not from the world. Biology doesn't compel you to do that, to go step by step in that way. That comes from God. <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of crazy that people don't, don't recognize this. That's literally the steps of repentance. Yet again, trying to steal from God to try to take away from him. It'd be hilarious if it weren't so pathetic and tactless. And it is tactless. This is not a good strategy. Anyone who actually knew the basics of Christianity, who's even heard of repentance, knows that that involves, number one, admitting the sin, admitting what you have done wrong, right? it means trying to understand the root and the nature of why you committed that sin, where the temptation was, where the failing was on your part, and then to consciously take steps to avoid making that same mistake again, which first and foremost should be to go to God, but then it also means taking necessary precautions in your life, maybe stopping certain behaviors, not letting certain people influence you the way that they used to, removing certain temptations from your life that, that basically led to you making the wrong choice and committing that sin, doing that wrong in the first place. Every actual, every legitimate Christian knows 
that this is what repentance is. And so the idea that Satanists think that they've got something original here, and that this is something that comes from without God, from without this religious system and institution. (laughs) I mean, have they even considered that literally the process of repentance not only would be ineffective with the immediate consequences and stresses in nature, but it is most certainly not a result of biological processes. This absolutely is a result of something metaphysical. And yet we all admit that this process of repentance, of admitting your wrongdoing, understanding the nature of that wrongdoing, taking conscious action to not commit that same wrong again, we all, admit, we all acknowledge that this is a, an objective good thing to do, beneficial thing to do. And what do you know? It comes from God. The way that God tells us that we should behave, how God commands that we should act. What do you know? It serves a practical utilitarian purpose, not a dogmatic one. But, of course, Satanists would probably never own up to that, own up that here blatantly with their statement, they've just straight up stolen plagiarize from from the Bible, from God. Note that the satanic form of repentance is lacking a key part of Christian distinction that renders such satanic repentance weak and ineffective, though. The satanist claims they don't have to ask for forgiveness from anyone. They recognize what they did was wrong, but avoid any necessity to apologize to the wronged whether it be another person or to God. Did you notice that, though? And this is where, again, Satanists, in their plagiarism, this is where they make a critical error, is that when you remove this idea of going to God, you, you mangle, you mess up, you misapply, you misunderstand the root of what repentance is all about. Forgiving yourself is a part of it, but it is not the core of acknowledging what you did wrong. It is not the core of trying to understand where the temptation came from. It is not the core of changing your behavior. The core is all rooted back in God whenever it comes to repentance. And so if your process of repentance doesn't involve God at all, doesn't involve being accountable and responsible to something or someone beyond yourself, well, you're going to make some just critical mistakes. And I don't think it would take too many brain cells to recognize that if you don't have the proper motivation, the proper understanding of the purpose of repentance, that this exercise in trying to understand yourself and to try to avoid making these same mistakes again in the future, it's probably not going to be that successful. It's probably not going to be that fruitful for you. So let's get back into this. So the Satanist claims they don't have to ask for forgiveness from anyone. They recognize what they did was wrong, but avoid any necessity to apologize to the wronged. Again, whether that be another person or God. Why? Because a Satanist is above all selfish and only out for strength in themselves, and that anything and everything that should humble, weaken, or expose their pride and power as insufficient and less than worthy of praise and celebration should be ignored or denied at all cost, even at the expense of truth, reality, and the dignity of others. Why? Because Satanists are prideful, self-deceived cowards who cannot handle the truth and reality of their own insufficiency and lacking to be their own gods and to be a perfect standard of victory apart from God. It's like Jack Nicholson said in that movie, what was it, A Few Good Men? You can't handle the truth. Well, unfortunately, Satanists can't handle the truth here. They can't. They'd rather tell themselves a comforting lie that strokes their ego and their pride, and so they engage in a pseudo-repentance. Are a false repentance that, wouldn't you know it, lacks the power of true repentance. Because what, at the end of the day, they do not want to accept or admit 
that they are anything short of the God of their own lives. It is easy to deceive yourself and to convince yourself that you're perfect and righteous when you never look upon what your actions actually do to others and to the world around you. It's easy to entertain lies of your own godliness when you cover your ears, mouth, and eyes, so all you are left with is your own imagination, completely absent of truth and reality. And you'd be surprised at how often human beings excuse their own mistakes or rationalize away their own shortcomings and their own evil actions. You'd be surprised at how often they do that when the, the person that they hold in highest regard to be the judge is themselves. Again, this is why humanity not only has a creator, has a God beyond ourselves, outside of ourselves, but it's why we need to appeal to God, to someone, to some being beyond ourselves. Because if we did not, if we did not appeal and view our own actions and motivations and so on from some outward and superior standard, then we tend to, in our own bias towards our own pride or towards our own narcissism and selfishness, we tend to ignore the full scope of our mistakes, the full scope of our sin. And make no mistake, wherever we either willingly, whether ignorantly, whether consciously or unconsciously, we choose to not acknowledge the sin that we commit, that sin doesn't just go away. By not bringing up that sin, by not humbly acknowledging it, bringing it before God and making amends for it to God, by not going through that process, by being so prideful, in yourself that you don't even want to not only admit, but you don't even think that what you've done is a sin when God clearly says that it is. That sin doesn't just go away. That sin multiplies. It gets worse. Like a cancer, it just festers and grows until it consumes you. Just because you're comfortable with going to God with nine out of the ten sins that you've committed, guess what? That one sin that you don't think you need to repent for because you're too tied up with it, because you're too comfortable with it, it's going to cause suffering. It's going to cause judgment and consequence for you. It might be today, might be tomorrow. It might not even be to the last day, to the day of judgment. But there's going to be some consequences for it. You cannot call yourself a true Christian if there is even one sin that you refuse, that you don't think you need to go to God to atone for. Because God's word is clear. You cannot live even the slightest life with a lifestyle that in any way, shape, or form, knowingly and consciously is contrary in any way to what God says is holy and righteous. You just can't. You can't be a lukewarm Christian in that sense. There's no such thing. Now, we all fall short of the standard of God. Absolutely. Absolutely. So a lot of y'all say, well, how am, I supposed, how am I supposed to feel secure in my faith in Christ and in God? How am I supposed to be secure in my salvation? How am I supposed to live assuredly in my faith without going into depression, without going into a depression, without without giving up because it's too hard, because it's a game I can't win. How do I keep going in a situation like that? 
Well, you can't do it in and of yourself. You can't excuse your way into heaven, can you? No. You need Christ. You need Jesus Christ. And it is only with the atoning sacrifice of Christ, it is only with the Holy Spirit indwelling within you that can attest for and atone for and blot out the sin which you commit. It is only with actively repenting to God, trying to be more Christ-like, picking up that cross every day, atoning for where you fall short, but being assured in Christ and acknowledging where you have sinned, where you have fallen short that day, not being so comfortable with any kind of sin that you have committed to where you say Christ doesn't need to heal you with that. Christ doesn't need to excuse you for that before God. You can't do that. You need to 100% rely on Christ. And there is, there is peace and joy, comfort, love, and so on, everything tied in with recognizing this, with putting your everything in Christ's hands. For many people, recognizing the truth that we are not enough, that we are not perfect, they don't want to accept this. And for those that do accept it, they don't really accept it. Because what they do is, they don't really try to find a solution to it. Their solution, if you can call it that, is just to excuse it or to rationalize it away. Well, sure, I did this thing that wasn't right, but hey, compared to these other people that are doing things that aren't right, I subjectively think that I'm better than them. So I must be okay. I'll be okay. (laughs) On the day of judgment, I'll be okay. Because I can point to some other fallen people and say, well, I didn't do X, Y, Z. Yeah, you sure? You didn't do X, Y, Z, but you did A, B, C. And guess what? Even just one, even just one sin is enough to condemn you to hell. Just one. And so we need to get ourselves right with this process of repentance, with this actual necessity of Christ. A daily, an hourly a minute-by-minute necessity of Christ in our hearts, in our minds, with the actions that we choose to make here. Do people not take salvation? Do people not take repentance and, and this idea of going to Christ? Do people not understand that? Do people not take it literally? Do people think it's only something that that people do as a little exercise every now and again? Do they not realize that there is an actual purpose to it? And it is not only a purpose to it, but it is the most important purpose to anything here in this world, in this fallen world. And that is recognizing the necessity of of humbling yourself before God, recognizing that you are not God, far from it, but also recognizing that there is a God out there, the only true God out there who loves you, his creation, enough, loves you who were made in the image of God, his image, not an animal, but as an image bearer of God to be holy. And even in your fallen state, you have a God who even though by our own choices we have fallen away from, we have a God where we fall short. He always makes up what we lack. All these other religions and views that are work-based where... It's you trying to reach up to heaven, never ever able to reach it. Christianity has a God, the one true God, thankfully, 
who is one who is willing to reach down to us to provide for us but what we could never provide for ourselves because we were never meant to provide it for ourselves. We were meant to rely on God. We were meant to draw our strength from God. That's the part of being his image bearers, is that we are meant to be inextricably linked to God, to Christ. And so thank God that we have a Lord who is willing to be our Savior, that we have a God who is willing to come into the flesh and to die for all of our sins so that we may not receive that just punishment which is due to us for the wrong things that we have done, so that we, if we should repent, turn to Him and live a life purely devoted to Him and His will, and that even if we should stumble, that we should get back up and continue to pick up that cross and to walk with Him daily, that just as He was resurrected before us, that we may be resurrected in Him. And not just when we die and when it's our time to go to heaven, but also in the here and now. Who we were yesterday, if we rely on God as we should, will be dead, will be buried, will be put to rest at night, and on the next morning, we shall rise, not the same person, but as someone made anew, with a better heart, with a more holy conscience and outlook and perception of ourselves, of others, and of our purpose, and of life, so that we may also be image bearers of God in the here and now. Not perfect, not yet, but good enough for God's purposes and His means here in the world, for His plans for all of humanity, His special creation, above all other created things. Thank God that we have a God who gives us that peace, that joy, that reason to celebrate, that reason to worship. And this faith that carries us through, this confidence, this reassurance that blesses us when we fully realize that great work which God has done, not only for us, the faithful, but Ultimately, for everyone, should they accept the gift of his sacrifice. But the hardest part is coming to grips with the full scope of the truth of who we are, our nature, our fallen, our corrupted nature. Coming to grips with the full truth of how the world has also been corrupted. Coming to grips with the truth that we are not God and that we need help and we need help that that needs to come from something more than ourselves, more than other human beings that are just as fallen as we are, that can only come from God. And it is so hard for people to recognize that truth. It really is. I pray that people eventually throughout the course of their life, with these days which God blesses us all with, which we are not entitled to, that someone, that something comes into people's lives that brings them closer to God, that gives them that other chance to come to God. And even if they're those who think that they're already right with God, I hope something happens that makes it clear to them that if they're not truly of God, if they think that they're with God, but only with God in name only, but are not with God as demonstrated by their own actions and thoughts and lifestyles and so on, I pray that they recognize it. 
Self-deception is just as damaging and just as damning in the last days as someone else deceiving you. And so I hope people at least have a clear idea of where we're coming from with this idea of just the importance of actual repentance that involves appealing to God and not to ourselves. That when we go to ask for forgiveness, we don't ask ourselves to forgive ourselves, we ask God. Because ultimately when we sin, when we do wrong, the one whom we offend the most, the one whom we wrong most is God. Even when we wrong others, yes, we need to repent for the wrong which we have done to them, but first and foremost, we need to make amends with God. And we need to go to God to help make what we did right. When you take God out of the process of repentance because you think that all that there is is just the physical, material, natural world and that there is nothing metaphysical, there's nothing beyond animals, there's no higher power that we have to be responsible to than ourselves. That's not true repentance if you can't do that. It's not true repentance. You can't cut God out. So hopefully Satanists will come to this realization before it's too late. Hopefully, if there are any fellow Christians out there who might have gotten lazy with their repentance, who think that just a quick, oh, my bad, is enough. It's not. We need to make ourselves right with God. We need to not be afraid to go to God to properly repent. Yes, even for those sins that we don't want to admit our sins because perhaps we've already been living a life of that sin for years. What pleases the flesh more often than not does, does not please God at all. It is the opposite of what God wants. See, and there are plenty of Christians out there where when they go to repent, they intentionally do not repent of certain things because guess what? It feels good because it appeases their flesh and they operate still from that satanic fallen mindset that whatever feels good in the here and now, whatever gives them that, that shot of excitement, that if it feels good, it must be morally good. And that is not that is not a godly perspective. That is not a godly standard. That is a satanic standard. We fail to recognize that when we are in this fallen sinful state, when we have not been made perfect in heaven before God, that that which oftentimes pleases us, which excites us the most, it's often sin. That's the thing with having a sinful fallen nature is we're most happy when we are sinning. And yes, there are those of us who, are, who have been born again where we find ourselves being most pleased when we do that which God commands. But there are still those instances where we are tempted by our flesh to still find that sense of excitement from doing what we know we should not do. And so we need to fight against that. We need to recognize that there are still parts of ourselves that we need to be on guard against and that we need to be willing to properly repent for. Otherwise, we're going to be in trouble. All right, so I don't want to spend much more time on that. Let's go to the relevant biblical passages for this uh, eighth satanic statement. We have Acts twenty six twenty five. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. Romans 12, 1 through 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you're present, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. 
Living before God our Father, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Ephesians four seventeen through 19 This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. 1 Peter 2, 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Galatians 6, 7 through 9, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Ephesians 5, 11, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Psalm 9, Psalm 91, 11 through 13. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now that brings us to the ninth satanic statement. And we only have about seven minutes left, so we're going to try and tackle this as quickly as we can. So bear with me for just a moment here. So ninth satanic statement is, Satan has been the best friend the church has ever had, and he has kept it in business all these years. This last statement is largely a declaration against dogmatic and fear-based religion. If there were no temptations, if we did not have the natures that we do, if there was nothing to fear, then few people would submit themselves to the rules and abuses that developed in other religions, specifically Christianity, over the centuries. All right, so here are my thoughts on this. Saying Satan is the best friend the church has ever had and has kept it going all these years is about as ignorant and immoral as saying that the Nazis were the best friend the Jews ever had and that Nazis kept the Jews going all those years during the Holocaust. Now, a Nazi can tell themselves that to make them feel better and sleep better at night, but it doesn't change the reality and truth that they're deluding themselves and are insane. That which sustains Christianity and Christians is Christ. That which sustains everything from the beginning and until the end is Christ, God, the Holy Spirit. God inspires righteousness and holiness, which leads to life everlasting. Satan inspires sin, which leads to death and suffering eternally. Don't get those two things mixed up. If this is, if this and if that, and if only this weren't the case, if only, if only then Christianity and its many restrictions wouldn't be necessary. Blah, blah, blah. How pathetic, even by a Satanist standard, to sit around complaining about what if and if only that and refusing to acknowledge reality as it is for all its ugliness and beauty, for all its illness and remedies, and accept necessary and temporary restraint and denial in order to actually be victorious over this crappy situation we all inherited Christians accept the truth of the situation, and that's what compels us to strive with everything we have for Jesus, for holiness, and for life, even when we fail sometimes. Satanists, by this statement, reject the truth and so reject his Savior and embrace delusion, sin, and destruction. You either complain and self-delude like a Satanist as you cowardly dwindle into failure, 
or you buck up, accept the reality of it all, embrace a solution, and courageously soar into victory on the restorative, sustaining, and redemptive wings of Christ. Some realities of life are really that simple. Christianity is certainly more than just a fear-based religion. Fear of God as in humility to a higher power and recognition of just how bad the situation of man and the world is and the need for a savior beyond ourselves who should judge us and destroy us but instead offers us forgiveness and grace through active faith in him is the beginning of knowledge. But from that true wisdom comes joy, peace, hope, love, goodness, kindness, patience, self-control, faithfulness, gentleness, selflessness, and so on. Those are not the characteristics of people who live in perpetual fear and torment. Those in Christ operate in courage, boldness, and victory. Those in Christ live by God's own proclamation of himself and his ways. That's central to the gospel is love because God is love and all traits of love are God. God is not fear, nor is Christianity therefore then centered around fear. Lying, manipulating truth, twisting perceptions of the innocent and ignorant about God, you indeed take after your true father, the devil, Satan, and Lucifer. The only ones who truly fear ultimate good as an unjust form of tyranny are those belonging to ultimate evil. This statement actually affirms why God chooses to let us deal with hardships in this world. The idea that if our lives were perfect and stress-free, that we wouldn't have any desire to seek God, to look to God, to rely upon God as we should. God is not the author of sin, corruption, decay, and destruction, but he is more than willing and capable of taking advantage of it for his perfect and righteous purpose. God knows what drives us, even in our fallen sinful state, so of course God would know this fact of reality and what motivates us to seek help, just as the Satanists clearly acknowledge this. People first call upon and come to God out of the fearful recognition of our fallen world and fallen state, but they remain in God, not out of fear or hopelessness, but because of the faith, trust, and hope they have found in Him for a perfected world and a perfected state in the world to come through the noble sacrifice of Christ. So ladies and gentlemen, that brings this podcast series to an end. We are running out of time here, but let's just make this clear about that last point, satanic statement number nine, this idea that Satan, the devil, has been the best friend that Christianity and that Christians and that God has ever had. It's just so twisted And it's just amazing the level of self-delusion that people can have where they try to say that, no, that they're a necessary evil, that any evil is necessary. Make no mistake, just because God might utilize evil doesn't mean that evil is necessary for God's work to be done. It's not. There is nothing evil about God or his ways, and there will be no evil accepted in the kingdom of heaven. And God appeals to us, not through evil. There's not an ounce of evil or sin in God at all. So this idea that Satan is a positive, proper servant and actor on behalf of God is simply a misguided, foolish lie from the pit of hell itself. It makes no sense. It's irrational. It's illogical when you actually know God's nature. And it just goes to show that people in their delusion, evil, and these Satanists can keep on going out of ignoring the truth. It's amazing how long you can You can get along with life when you ignore the truth. But eventually people will have to answer for this. Satanists are going to have to answer for this. People who reject God in all its many forms, who accept other false gods and so on, they're going to have to answer for it. And I want them to be able to have Christ with them on the day of judgment, as I will have Christ with me. And I hope that this series perhaps helps enlighten us as to how our current culture has embraced some of these satanic principles and the negative effects that it has on us. And, but also more importantly, the way forward in God and in Christ. To look to the Bible as our blueprint to bring our culture back around to a place of healing and thriving for all of humanity for the world over to see.
Thank you again for tuning in. It's been a pleasure. I will see y'all next time.